0: Bienvenidos todos a Football is Life, una programa presentada por The Incomparable. Welcome, everyone, to Football is Life on the TV podcast from The Incomparable. I'm Moises Chuyan, and joining me to discuss two aces, episode six of season one of Ted Lasso, are three aces. He joined the team back in episode four and experienced a freak injury, but he's back on the field. It's Keir Hansen, everybody. <laughs> I'm really more of a seven, but uh, we'll see how things go. <laughs> And it doesn't matter what the boss says. She always puts the team first. It's Aline Sims.
1: Aces. 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 Aces.
0: <laughs> and he is the kit man who holds dear the sunglasses a woman once said make him look like Clive Owen. It's Casey
2: Liss. I'm here like a joyous raven-haired golden retriever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we uh we've got uh, the the pleasant joy of discussing uh the episode in which uh, one of my favorite characters Danny Rojas joins the show. Uh it is the beginning of the sad dad arc as I as I uh, think of it. Um and we we see the show do a few things that uh we're not necessarily used to in sitcoms. Sitcoms used to uh we're used to them spinning the wheels and keeping things going, but there are some big changes in store for uh the the um the the team um to kick things off we're we're coming off of the heels of uh ted and his wife deciding that yeah this is it we should call it quits we try to make it work it is just not going to work um and uh and we've got uh, we've got some sour feelings from jamie tart who got benched um how do we feel about this episode in
2: general uh, any any general thoughts uh before we dive in you know, it's funny when I rewatched this episode the first time in preparation for this very show. I I left it thinking I don't I don't know if that's really my favorite episode of the season. But uh, in order to appropriately uh, prepare for this podcast, I rewatched it literally like three or four times. And having rewatched it for the last time just a few minutes ago. I actually feel like I really sold it short. And even though this definitely is not a happy-go-lucky episode for the most part, Danny Rojas notwithstanding, I, I feel like this episode does an incredible amount of heavy lifting for a, a lot of the characters in the show. And we mm-hmm. get to see that these characters are indeed human. And it- it- we see Ted get angry, which is the first time, to my recollection, that we see Ted get like properly angry. And granted, mm-hmm. he has justification for it, but... This is the first time we see Ted angry. This is the first time we see Jamie show any real honest to goodness, I don't know if I would go so far as to say humility, but perhaps heart. And we're seeing these characters, Jamie and Ted most especially, actually becoming fully fledged humans rather than somewhat unilateral like caricatures of their characters. And and I think having, you know, spent a lot more time with this episode, that even though it isn't like the Happy Go Lucky episode in the season that I would turn to immediately if I just wanted to watch something happy. I really do think that this is in many ways the foundation of pretty much everything that's left to come. Which I think you had said earlier, Moises, that that we're, we're setting we're setting off on a different arc now, and we're really changing the expectations of Ted Lasso as a television program. And so, leaving it, you know, just a few minutes ago, I really feel like this is a, a very, very good episode. Hiding behind what seems to be a bunch of sadness and and that's not necessarily a bad thing
3: I'd have to agree that specifically the specifically the, the right from the, some of the very early scenes when we get Ted losing his temper at jamie over the uh, over the balked practice and some of the choices that are made as far as even down to uh, these these unusual tilts to the to the camera angles yep, as that yep. as that scene intensifies. Just give us this slow burn from Ted that we didn't even know the character was really capable of. We have seen him be put through the ringer on a number of different fronts prior to this point, and that scene in particular is a, is a really indelible moment for him because it really fills in some spaces. This okay, he 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 can break, um, and not just you know emotionally. You know, sadness, what he's going through um, with his with his personal life, which I think is a, a major contributing factor to why this outburst happens, as it does. But the slow teardown, you know, his fixation on practice, 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 as if he's trying to come up with the way to dress Jamie down, effectively. Um, I, I sort of consider this entire episode to be a bit of a, of an hourglass, because certain things tighten up really beautifully, and then other things go absolutely pear-shaped. <laughs> um, on the tail end of it. So that that to me says that this is a sitcom that <laughs> it wants to fall out of that box in the first place. It does, doesn't even want to be referred to as a situational comedy other than the fact that, well, there was a situation to get this all started. Um, but this is, this is a universe in and of itself. Um, the... I think what I take away as one of the, the the real gifts of this is getting to know some of the supporting characters a little bit better. Higgins has his moment. Um, you know, May the barkeep has her moment. You know, she was such a, a little background character, and you can't you can't waste Annette Badland. You can't have her in the cast <laughs> and not give her something like that. You know, and she handles that sequence beautifully. But I think, to me personally, I mean, if if there's anyone who comes. Right up there to Danny Rojas levels, it's Sam. Um there's this little moment that he has when he goes uh, uh, goes into the office and asks her to uh, to join the 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 exorcism. <laughs> That they're performing. Um, and, and he sits down and has this this little conversation with her and everything from the little icebreaker first misunderstanding over, you know, romantic advances and things down through, oh, well, you know, if we're talking about um, you know, things that are supernatural and superstition, we have to ask, uh, we have to ask him. And, oh, you're not superstitious. Oh, no, I absolutely am. But that's not important right now. You know, it, it, that's
1: <laughs> such a good scene. Oh, absolutely <laughs> love it
3: he was such a gift and that's the sort of thing you know They're there are the i think this episode is more the sum of its parts because the, for all the things where you say oh you know the the what was it the um the treadmill scene where keely finally gets gets roy to start to crack a bit you know those little smiles that he's afraid to show as she's interrupting him reading a wrinkle in time come on um, you know, they're, they're, they're just, it's so full of these little moments that I think you get blindsided every time one of these sad moments comes back. And you're like, oh, I was just starting to feel better. Oh, okay, they got me again. Um, I don't know if that's indicative of the, the primary writer uh, on this. Um, I think it was Bill Rubel, who uh, originally, I think he got some of his first teeth cut on writing for Sports Night. So, it kind of gives him the the right background, but then he went on to work on Will and Grace and Ugly Betty, Modern Family and things. So, a lot of really quippy um, uh, interchanges and things. Uh I think it shows. But I don't know. I, I love this one. I I love the whole season, but uh but this one is a this one is definitely one of my top. And Danny Ross. Come on. Helene, <laughs> <laughs> how
0: about you?
1: Okay, so as Casey and Kier you were talking uh, I started thinking about this episode and what what I really like about it, and I started having an epiphany and I don't know that it has fully formed, but I'm going <laughs> to try to express this thought, and that is that Ted Lasso is basically Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, I'm listening. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> ma- ma- tell me a- more. Ma- tell Aline, me more. Aline, make it so. Make <laughs> it so. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So, people who don't know me, I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation, right? Like, it was a, an IV drip in my household. Um, so, a lot of things come back to Star Trek for me. But I think a lot about the things that I love about any any truck um, not just the next generation. And one of the things that has always impressed me about the show is how the characters are always put in what we think of or what would be for us as fantastical situations, right? Weird stuff is happening constantly and i remember there's um there's an episode i'm sorry if you don't like star trek there's an episode of the next generation where deanna troy starts hearing voices and what would we do if you know our ship's counselor started hearing voices we'd be like okay we need to find a counselor for our counselor she needs some psychiatric interventions we'll see what happens but what What happens in Star Trek, because everything's weird, right? You have to expect the unexpected, is that Captain Picard is like, okay, tell me more. Let's figure out what's going on. And it's that default to believing people that is so important in any science fiction and fantasy, really, but also in Ted Lasso. Ted doesn't argue with people. I mean, I know in this episode he comes down on Jamie, but he believes them when they tell him whether he actually believes them or not, right? Like, we know um, later on – well, no, not later on. Later on in this episode, you know, Jamie's like, can't practice. And he's like, okay, fine. You say that. I don't believe you, but I'm going to act like I do, right? And he approaches everything with the attitude of giving people the benefit of the doubt. And so in this episode, they're, like, doing a – I was gonna say satanic ritual, but I guess no one is <laughs> no one is being like called. Um, no specific demons appear, but like they're invoking like this the spiritual exorcism, and it's not because Ted is like, oh yeah, there are definitely ghosts and we've got to do something about it. It's you know, it's just like okay, how can I make this a team building exercise? How can I make this a learning opportunity? How can I use this weird situation we're in and this weird superstition that we have to make us stronger as a result? And that is why Ted Lasso is like Captain Picard. He's constantly looking for how he can make situations Better for everybody, right? He can turn anything around, and that's something that's a trait I do not possess, and really wish that I did.
0: <laughs> well said, number one. <laughs> uh, so to to kick off the episode, uh, Ted is uncharacteristically late. And somewhat out of sorts, and he he walked. Uh, one presumes because he he had some stuff to walk out and try to work out. Um, he this is the first time in the whole show that we that we really get him this um, disordered in terms of his thinking. Uh, Jamie Jamie's hurt. Jamie's really hurt. He's totally hurt. He's really hurt. And since he can't practice, well, I guess it's time for him to set up some cones. And then he tries to get his underlings to set up the cones for him, but the underlings are not having it. And this is the first time they have fully pushed back on 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 uh, Jamie Tart, Jamie Tart, (laughs) and uh, and there's a there's a beautiful raven-haired genius in the wings, a god of football. Uh, a sport that is life and that is Danny rojas uh, played by Christopher Hernandez uh, who comes in and, and he has given us the the title for this TV podcast football is life um, and and having known uh various um, very dedicated Mexican football players uh the the joy and ebullience is something that um you know I I saw some reviewers go oh you know are, are they playing into stereotypes I guess you don't know any Mexican soccer players uh, because <laughs> this is I mean this 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 sport is joy Joy. This sport is, it really is life. Um, and it is one of the various things about the soccer aspects of this that uh, that I think the show gets so well is that, um, you know, the, there is that more cool, aloof uh, kind of European demeanor that some of the European superstars have uh, that is just not a thing for Mexican and Central American players. <laughs> um, so D- Danny comes in, and w- I, I, you know, if you can take us back to your memory of experiencing Danny Rojas for the first time, everybody. What, what, was, what was him swooping into the show like for you <laughs> at can first I, glance?
3: Can I just say that this is one of the things that made me so glad that this show uh, aired on a streaming network where you could just back it up and see it again and again and again. We backed <laughs> up that 15-second sequence of him emerging onto the pitch over and over and over and doing the the whooping cowboy you know uh, uh, running in a little tight circle in front of them <laughs> before he even greets anybody he just gets out, out on the pitch and runs around in a circle and the, just the the happiness that exuded from it with his bright pink uh you know uh, uh, soccer boots on and everything is like okay okay this is this is joy personified and 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 I just we needed to see that scene. We didn't even know what was coming up to follow. We started, on first viewing, we stopped it right there because we were howling and screaming and whooping and backed up and watched it over and over and over a few times just to, just to, to, to get to experience Danny. And then his character just got even better through the episode.
2: Yeah, it's it's so funny. It's not a very, you know, clever take, but in so many ways, he is the opposite of Jamie, you know, and, and Jamie is so grumpy and, and full of himself and so... Uh, mostly quiet until he, you know, needs to make a scene. But, you know, largely we don't see outbursts from him. But Danny Rojas just comes screaming in from the get-go. And I remember watching it the first time. I was like, what just happened? Not in a bad way. Just what is this? This is so unlike any of the other players and so just absolutely delightful. You know, in, in so many ways the way The way I think of Ted Lasso as a television program is that it's a really joyful show now, obviously, there's a lot of sadness in the show we're We're talking about you know some of that here but but I think of the show as a whole as an extremely joyful show, and I feel like Danny Rojas just. It personifies my feeling of Ted Lasso that that it's just so over the top excited, so genuinely cheerful. I I love that in the first scene with Danny. You know, he he scores and he immediately thanks Sam for the really good cross or something or pass or whatever it was, something like that. It's just it immediately establishes in in an in an over the top yet believable way how wonderful this character is and how delightful he's going to be.
0: I mean, it really counterbalances Ted being down in the dumps. Uh, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. usually our high point for energy. Mm, and mm-hmm. Danny just swoops in uh, to, you know, to to uh, to take uh, that responsibility off of the coach's shoulders while the coach is uh, is down in the dumps. Aline.
1: Yeah, he's colorful, like literally. Yeah. Colorful. Right. Like he wears, you know, turquoises and pinks and um, as opposed to everybody else wearing like you know, black and gray or whatever. And, uh, yeah, he's just – he's a lot of fun to watch. And I I love the episode um, where Keely is talking to players about, you know, potential sponsorship leads and stuff. And she's like, so what do you want to advertise? And he's like, joy. And I was like, you go, Danny Rojas, you go, you know, um, because that's I love the
0: concept of joy. Yeah, it's just –
1: Um, he's a great character to have, and especially, as was pointed out earlier, just such a stark contrast to, you know, these stoic, largely British men who are very, like, I I don't know, I think of Roy and his scowl, and he's, like, very much about the sport, and that's it. And Danny just, like, yes, he's definitely about the sport, but he also just wants to have fun, and I think that's awesome. Yeah.
3: It helps that he's got this... this, uh, ear-splitting grin yeah. 90% of the time. <laughs> and to counter it, it that... It makes my face hurt looking at <laughs> yeah. it, does, it does. And the floppy <laughs> hair helps too, I think. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. But you counter that with, uh, with what Phil Dunster is doing with Jamie and his smug, like... Chewing the mm-hmm. inside of his lip and kind of you know, um, lips together, teeth apart, kind of thing that he does through the vast majority of this episode. I, like you're not intentionally supposed to like the Jamie character, but I really loved some of the choices he was making just visually when he didn't have dialogue and he was just forced to take these scenes on the hip and he he just wore it beautifully as a as a counterpoint so okay. next
0: up we we have some more development uh within our supporting cast uh Keeley and rebecca have have become better friends they're they're continuing to have these little uh these little chats as they get closer and we um we we encountered the uh the first use of the term old rebecca um and we see their relationship deepen a bit more um how How do we feel about the uh the relationship between Keeley and rebecca and and the way that it's paced? Um, the way that it's growing uh, over the course of season one.
1: I think it's great. Um, I love to see strong episodes between, or not strong episodes. I love to see strong relationships between women that aren't about men, you know, (laughs) like, um, and so it's nice to see them kind of come together when they both I think really need a friend and see them grow together. And I love the way that Keely um not so gently encourages Rebecca to um not just like physically be better, right? We have the Um, the charity event where she, she tells Rebecca how to pose, but also how to be a a better person and more true to herself. And um, that's, that's Keely, right. That's something that she does throughout the series is I feel like she's really about helping people be better um, and do better. She's constantly, you know, trying to get Jamie to do better and she brings Roy out of a shell and so it's really nice to see, kind of them, come together so quickly and grow together quickly because they're both at points when, in their lives where they're ready for that and they need that.
3: It's yeah, interesting I, that you say that yeah, they do they do come together quickly, but I do I do like the fact and Moises I think you just alluded to the the pacing on the mm-hmm. development of their relationship. It is not too quick. They don't fall in to be too chummy chummy. They haven't suddenly become. Bestie, drinking buddies, or, or share all their secrets because it's going to take a while to round the corners off of Rebecca, and it's going to take a while. On the flip side, for how this symbiotic relationship benefits Keeley, as far as getting her to to take more control of her life that has been dictated about who she was told she needed to look like and be for the camera or for her career, or what have you. So her stepping up as a as a PR director, I guess, as her as her title holds, um, and that. That position of of authority, you know, playing to her strengths and things, she's starting to recognize that. But it's not instantaneous. They still, eh, they still have their moments where they try to communicate and it doesn't quite land properly because they're still learning one another and they're still deciding how much to entrust to one another as this relationship grows. So yeah, three episodes since they really kind of cracked the ice in the uh, in the for the children episode. But um, but yeah, it's it's moving along at what I feel is natural or what I would anticipate to be natural.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with everything the two of you guys said. And and I wanted to also uh, kind of pull on the thread that Aline started with regard to Keely just really being her true self, because there's a almost throwaway uh, exchange when Keely holds up her bright, shiny pink, my adventures as a mm. unicorn notebook. And I forget exactly how Rebecca phrases it, but she basically says, are you kidding me with this? And Keely says, I love, you know, something along the lines of, I love this, you know, screw you. Like, th- th- I love it, who cares? And I I feel like the more I watch Ted Lasso, and as I've been rewatching, you know, for for this podcast, I feel like I I underappreciated Keeley, and I think she is a much more foundational character in the show than I originally realized, and and I love watching Keeley specifically bloom over the course of the first season, where. You know, you're introduced to her, and she seems to be the stereotypical, you know, wives and girlfriends kind of uh, like. You're you're inclined to think of her as a bimbo. You're kind of supposed to think of her as a bimbo, I, I I would imagine. But it's very quickly apparent, even in the first episode, that that's not really all that she is. And with each passing episode, I feel like we see more of her and how smart she is and how um and, and how how quick on her feet she is. Like when they have the exchange uh, she and Roy about how he doesn't want to be a show pony, and she says something. <laughs> along the lines of what well, you you get you run around with a number on your back and people clap for you you know like mm. immediately <laughs> comes back with you know who do you really think you are and i just i love that there's so much more to keely particularly than than i certainly expected and, and maybe that's my own you know shortcomings coming through but but i love that there's so much there and we're seeing it doled out in little bits and pieces you know speaking of pacing I know you were asking Moises, about Keely and Rebecca, but I think we're also seeing a really good pacing for Keeley and Rebecca individually as well, which I really love.
0: Yeah, I think Juno Temple is 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 a gift. Uh, and when yep. they announced various members of the cast before, I you know I I was really aware that the show was was much of a thing. I was like Jason Sudeikis, like, okay, cool. Juno Temple, hmm. Hannah Waddingham, huh, Anthony Stewart He. What are what is this show? Um, Juno Temple is is one of these talents who has been around for a while, has, you know, quite a well um, a well established name in indie cinema, um, you know, and uh, I'm I'm glad that this show has has broken her out in terms of a lot of um, broader mainstream awareness. You know, she's been in mainstream movies. She was in a Batman movie and this other thing and this other thing. Um, but generally, she hasn't had quite as much to chew on as she gets in this show and it's um, you know, as, as the barriers between movies and TV, when it comes to prestige have broken down. Um, I, I think that this is uh, this has been a really wonderful opportunity for people to see what she is capable of, which is quite a lot. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't even think that the show has, has taken us to the peak of, of what she's capable of. And and same goes for Hannah Waddingham uh, to, to your point, Casey, um, both of these women are getting um, better opportunities Uh, to, to develop characters than just to represent a thing in a narrative and it's, oh, we need a, this type to play this kind of a thing. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I like the most about the show is that it is happy to do that for everybody. Um and it isn't uh, it isn't going overboard in, in just one direction or another, as is, you know, frankly, needed. Um so after this scene, we jump back over to Jamie Tart and Danny Rojas, um, and and Jamie's firing off a, a ball um at a goalpost. And Danny just is like, oh, cool, it's my friend. We're going to play a game. Cool. <laughs> um, and Jamie is just not. Having it, and uh, and as uh, as I think Kier was saying earlier, this this is a this is this is that beautiful chance that we get to see that you know Jamie Tart is capable of growth. Um, he is kind of a jerk, and some parts of that is not going to change. But as we get later in the episode, we get yet more uh, of him breaking down his own walls to us. Uh, but this this is where it starts to me is that um, the infectious charm of Danny Rojas. Is completely irresistible. Uh, you you cannot you cannot help but be brought in um, by this uh, this this uh, supernova of joy. Um, how do do you guys feel like this is this is the first time that we've seen Jamie actually allow himself to be vulnerable, or is this where we just we get to see more of it than we have previously? Is is this really the first time that he breaks down that barrier of just being you know the the uh, you know lips together teeth teeth apart jerk. Uh.
3: <laughs> you get a little hint of it uh, a couple episodes prior the, in the the for the children where he and Roy are sitting down at the bar after the after the event mm. is, is finishing mm-hmm. out. They've they've been forced to sit together and and they've been throwing jabs at each other all night and they finally get to the point where they they agree to say well. You're a jerk. Well, you're a jerk, too, but I respect what made you a jerk, uh, and I respect the, the fact that you're still a jerk today. <laughs> it's just like they, they come to the sort of an understanding. That's about as close as we've gotten with Jamie to date. Um, so there, there was a hint that there was a weakness in the armor, but you never saw anything actually penetrate, if you want to take that analogy a step further. So you were able to identify the chink, and here's where you actually were able to drive it home by the close of this episode.
2: Yeah, I feel like it was the combination of this and the dressing down that Ted gave him that really caused him to start to think um and then oh, speaking of Keely I think when she I forget again I forget how she phrases it but she says you know stop battling the people that are trying to help you and I think that more than anything else for my eyes is what really got him to 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 properly change and and you obviously got him to come to the uh, seance or whatever at the end of the episode but um but no, I think I think it, a combination of seeing Ted get upset for the first time and realizing that he is not as unique as he thought he was in this scene i I suspect the combination of those two things really got him wondering you know what is his position in the team and and you know potentially broadly, what is his position in the world if he's not everything to everyone, then what is he?
1: And I think this is what makes him such a compelling character, too. I don't... I I like Jamie. I don't want to like Jamie, but I like him. And it's because... I feel like he has the capacity to grow grudgingly, not super willingly, you know, something Keely and Ted and who knows who else is going to like drag him kicking and screaming into change, but he's, he's changing. And I think that that is, that's cool. And it makes it more interesting that he's reluctant to pass the ball or whatever. Um, so I I don't know it's it's a good Jamie character growth episode and it, I think it's um it's the first time that we really see that he cares I think um I think he's he's taken it as red the entire rest of the series that he is the best and he's going to always get the ball and you know whatever but i think in this episode we see that it's not it really isn't just about him doing this thing because it's it's what he's good at he does it because he likes it and he wants to be good and so i think that makes him a much more interesting compelling character
2: yeah I agree and and it when we establish later on like why he is the way he is when he comes and fesses up you know a little bit about his history at the end of the episode it, and like I was starting to say when we first started speaking tonight, I feel like that establishes him as more than just the big jerk, you know we're seeing Ted as more than just a puppy dog that's always happy, and we're seeing Jamie as I guess he is still a big jerk, but at least we kind of understand the why and I think for me like I, I as I'm sure everyone did I just hated Jamie Tartt so much and <laughs> and Kier I agree with you that that he's played extremely well but as a character I hated him so much and mm. and after this episode I had at least some amount of compassion for him and understood at least to some degree how he got that way uh, and then to to kind of reiterate what I was saying a little while ago I love that That Danny Rojas is so much the opposite Jamie that when he, you know, wins this little, you know, soccer equivalent of horse, if you will, and he beats Jamie, his immediate response is, oh, I got lucky. Which is very much the opposite of what Jamie Tart would have done had the roles been reversed. And and it's so simple. It's, you know, three words, but it says so much in those three words. And and I just it it's so the writing on this show is so great. And and, yeah. and it's one of the things I love about it so much.
0: Yeah, I mean the the texture to Jamie Tart's insecurities and paying off uh the way that he comes off almost cartoonish earlier on as, as the yeah, season goes yeah. on, everything that we take as cartoonish feels more lived in. And, you know, there, there are, yeah. you know, some cartoonish sensibilities that stay the same through the rest of the season. And that's part of what makes it fun and helps lighten the, the darker tones that it's got. But it, um, it, it is, it is truly a miraculous show. I think exactly for this reason that, you, that you're honing in on Casey is that it, um, it really gives us that texture to everybody uh, from you know the 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 hooligans in the pub uh to the lady who owns the pub to the kit man to everybody um everybody gets uh gets more development than you expect from from a show of this type
2: yep absolutely
0: so now we move on to the pub uh there's there 's a very important meeting happening we got we got to sort this out. It turns out that there is a horrible curse uh that goes back to the war and hundreds of souls and and the the importance of this is double and triple underlined. And uh, we get another little bit of a uh, little bit of progression for Roy Kent, um, who is who is being wrinkled in timed into really taking his responsibilities, captain, seriously and, and making everybody fall in line. Tells everybody you're going to do it. You're going to show up. Um, and, uh, and then we jump over to, uh, Rebecca's office, uh, as, as Keir alluded to earlier, um, for a really, a really lovely little interchange between her and Sam, who is taking his own initiative to make sure that the whole team shows up tonight, uh, and, and brings something of significance to sacrifice, um, to, to exercise the demons as it were. Um, and then, and then we have, we have our seance, our exorcism, uh, whatever you want to call it. And, Um, they're the very well-named characters that we know. Uh, they're the ones that, you know, like Frenchman Richard, who's had like two or three lines, who get something funny to do, and then we get a variety of the members of the team putting stuff in the barrel, um, you know, from lingerie to booze to uh, <laughs> um, uh, fuzzy dice, um, but Roy puts in his blankie from home, Sam puts in the photo of the 1994 Nigerian team, uh, Richard, uh, as I mentioned, sand from St. Barts, uh, the first time he slept with a supermodel, truly um, a, a major achievement. Uh, in any man's life. And quite a sacrifice. Quite I a, was sacrifice. Say. Quite a quite, sacrifice. I mean, I mean, just think, just think he's not going to have that anymore. It's gone. Mm. Uh, Nate's Clive Owen sunglasses, um, Rebecca's newspaper, uh, from earlier in the episode, uh, Higgins's cat collar. And we wow. learn a bit more in that Higgins is the type to name a cat, Cindy Crawford, which I, I love so just Oh my God. Delightful. So uh, Jeremy Swift, Jeremy Swift is one of the most, to me, underappreciated character actors in, in British cinema, uh, the because first, he just, he, 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 knocks it out of the park every time.
1: Yeah. The first time he came on, I was like, oh, it's Spratt. It's Spratt. What is he gonna yeah. do?
0: <laughs> what's he, oh, yeah. What's he going to do? Burn the toast. Um, right. And, uh, and of course, of course, Jamie, uh, Jamie's, uh, Jamie's boots, uh, from his mom. Uh, And he explains that he always just wanted, uh, he just wanted to make her proud. She didn't care if he won. She didn't care if he lost. She didn't care if he scored the goal. She just wanted him to make her proud. But his dad, his dad accused him of being soft and told him he had to always be hard and he had to be a big man and all of this stuff. And we, in, in, in this ritual, we are getting a gigantic amount of additional context for all of these people. Indeed, Roy has a softer side. Um, Sam has a, a deeply, uh, deeply founded goal uh personally that you know he he wants to live up to um and and everybody uh you know i i, I wonder about the guy who put the boxing gloves in i, I want to know where those boxing gloves are from we didn't get to find out why <laughs> um but you know we we got that additional texture even from characters that we've never heard speak um so what do we what do we like what do we feel about this uh, the scene in particular
3: You have to bear in mind this is not just the fact that that these little bits of insight into what the value structure is for these primary, secondary, tertiary background characters are as far as what they choose to put in and what that says about them. But it's it's not just us as the audience. They're also divulging this to the rest of their teammates. And that didn't really click with me the first time around because I was just too amused by what he put his Lamborghini keys in, you know, know, just comedic (laughs) moments and such but the fact that uh with with Roy's blanket or blankie make him say it again um <laughs> or or Jamie's boots it's It's not just them sharing that with us as the viewing audience, but the fact that they're able to they're, they're willing to divulge this in front of the rest of their teammates brings you to, and I know I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but when they're out on the pitch and actually lighting the barrel, and thank you because the first time this we watched this scene and they're all gathering the stuff in the barrel, I'm like, that fi- the, the sprinklers are going to go off. What are they what are they going to do? And I mean, think result. about the toxic gas from all of this yeah. stuff. I, Dear well, Lord, what are they too. doing? <laughs> but but um, one of the first things that's said, as everything transitions outside as a result of them sharing all of this and having this, this at times cathartic and other times just really soul bearing moments with what they choose to put in is a team united. That could have been a working title for this entire episode for that matter. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think this was that was brilliantly done. As ridiculous as the whole thing seemed about the the 400 ghosts they were trying to execute, that's too many ghosts. We can't fight that many. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just I love the way it was executed. I absolutely love it.
1: And yeah, I appreciate I- that it gives us a tie-in for later seasons. Like maybe we will know what's up with the boxing gloves later on. Um, so I I, I appreciate that. There's at least some kind of backstory for more characters going on and that um, you know we can get some fresh uh, not necessarily faces fresh voices introduced onto um, maybe the main cast or more secondary characters. Mm. Yeah,
2: what I loved about this is if you're going to do one of those like cheesy expository, like, let me explain who everyone is kind of scenes, well, first of all, you would have done it before episode six. But second of all, th- it would have been so much more ham fisted than the way it was executed here. And I think that it-, it felt extremely natural in the context of Ted Lasso as a TV show for this moment to happen. And and to get the backstory out of all these different characters, you know, primary and secondary and tertiary, and to do it in a way that felt natural and without feeling like you're you're getting explained to or lectured to, it was just extremely, extremely well executed. And in a scene that I think could have been extremely lame and cheesy, they really were able to, to ride the line and make it really land and really stick. And even the kind of lame jokes like uh, Richard pouring out the sand, I, I still think... It was done in such a way that it gave us a little bit of of a break from all the, the, the heavy emotion that was going on before and after. And and I don't I just I really thought it was well executed. And then the actual lighting thereafter, you know, like like you all said, it's a team united. They're all drinking the tequila or whatever it was, and they're all together enjoying themselves. You see Jamie and Roy cooperating on, on you know, let's drink that bottle before we throw it in the fire. Um, <laughs> and they're all, you know, chanting, we're Richmond till we die, we're Richmond till we die. And it is a team together. And you you could almost assume that that would be the end of the episode, but it isn't.
0: And uh, and to, to uh, make sure to note it, it's a bottle of mezcal. And if you haven't had mezcal, you're missing out. <laughs> uh, you got to try it. And that bottle of Mezcal comes on, on the wings of the Eagle that has landed. Uh, and yeah, that is yep, Danny yep. Rojas who, who swoops in as if magically conjured and healed by this ritual, uh, after Ted asks the spirits for a sign. Uh, and, uh, frankly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of a friend of mine showing up with a bottle of Mezcal when I ask <laughs> the spirits for a sign for anything. um, and, uh and this is where uh Higgins gets uh, yeah, uh, yeah. gets caught a little bit gets caught a little bit by the boss um who has him on strict orders to help continue to undermine the team uh turns out that Higgins is putting the team first and um he uh he really is very much on the side of this is a team united this is kind of a beautiful thing that has been happening um as as much as Higgins has kind of fallen in that direction. Um, uh, one, one would assume based on his reaction to different things up to this point, he's really pretty fully, uh, outed himself to Rebecca as, as being on the side of AFC Richmond. Um, and the team is united, but Rebecca is furious. And the big, um, the big gut punch of the episode is, uh, we lost one of them, two aces. Uh, Jamie does get recalled to man city, um, did did you guys expect this? Um, whether you know uh, from Rebecca's reaction from the bit earlier in the episode, did you think that this was going to hold through the end of the season?
2: And I certainly didn't know. And and you know the the interaction between Ted and Rebecca is you know yet another time that we see Ted upset and we see him you know angry and he's yelling at Rebecca and at some point he catches himself and. It, it, it's funny. You see the, the way that Hannah Waddingham and and Jason T- Sudeikis play this is so tight and so well done. And you can see, you know, when he gets really loud with her by this most subtle reaction on, on Hannah Waddingham's face, you, you see her like, what? You know, excuse me, and and what's lovely about Ted is even in his fit of rage, he immediately apologizes, and you can tell he means it. Um, and then, of course, there's a the whole exchange with with the, with the biscuits. Now he hopes they're not as good, but oh, I just cracked the recipe. You know, it's 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 so it's so wonderful, even even though it's such a terrible moment. And and to come back to your actual question, no, I didn't see this happening. I of course they're going to threaten it, but then it's not it's not going to be that way because that's the way television works, right?
3: I don't know. I, I, I felt like the tee up that they did earlier in the episode, uh, sort of that tipping of the hand was a little bit too much of a, um, of a pistol uh, a, on the scene to, to leave on the table. Um, but it, I, I personally, I felt it was tempered a bit uh, by, by the fact that Danny's miraculous healing and that they, you know, if, if you consider this just from the sort of the, the money ball aspect of, of team management, okay, net zero, on this or maybe even net to the good because you've got, you know, Danny on hand, um, who's, who's such a, uh, such a positive force, uh, not only in his level of play, but also just his, his entire persona and what that can do for a team dynamic. So I didn't, I, I don't know. It took me a little while to process it the first time around as for is this really a bad thing? Is, is it really? Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I I'm still, I still tumble it a little bit, uh, as far as whether that was an execution that I would have placed there, or maybe somewhere. I don't know. I, I'd have to see where you could pick that moment if you were going to drop that somewhere ac- across the season as a uh, as a as a gambit. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm 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 still stuck.
1: I think it works here because. Um... We've had a chance to kind of get to know Jamie um, to, I don't know if revile is maybe the right word, but to maybe not love him, but know him and then feel a little bit of sympathy for him. And then, you know, he's gone. But more than that, I think it's a character moment for Rebecca in that we think, I thought, her walls were starting to come down and she was starting to see that maybe this plot wasn't the best thing and that she would, you know, come around to Ted's side. And what it was, was we had this moment or these moments where she was kind of letting her walls down a little where she um, explained very briefly why she threw the paper, the tabloid um, in the barrel um looking on um with with Ted and Higgins at the team um and then like i feel like she pulls back and steals herself and is like no we're doing this and we're doing this like right we're going big and i think that that this episode is really the the, the big one where i started to think well maybe you know, she's she's not going to be horrible after all. Um, maybe there's something to like in there. And um, there is. It's just it, it, it took a while to get, get to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, a big a big thing with Rebecca is is that um, she's framed as the villain by some people um, when when you just look at the beginning of the season. But I never really saw her that way. Um I saw her as somebody who went through some really terrible stuff and whatever, who cares? It's a football team. Um, but getting, getting revenge, um, for, uh, for slights that she didn't deserve, uh, seems pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, unfortunately it's going to not make things so great for a variety of people. Um, but it's not like she's putting people's lives at risk. Um, if, if she were a full outright villain, she would be looking to skin puppies and make coats out of them um, <laughs> to use a, a recent reference. Um, but I, I, I like that rather than give us the, the relative win of her turning around, coming around at this point, the wound is still too deep and too fresh for her to be able to come around just yet. And not just for the sake of narrative convenience um for me it it really adds to the credibility of the way that they set her character up that she does not come around in the way that the rest of the team is very much more on the same page and and i i think it's it's very interesting the way that in in a lot of ways they've done most of the tying off of loops that they're going to do to Jamie's character and we didn't necessarily see it happening until they they put that bow on it at the end of the episode and they're like guess what he's off the team so you're not going to be seeing him that much
2: yeah that's a really good point and as i'm listening to you folks discuss this I almost wonder if she made this decision at the bonfire because it struck me that, you know, she sends Higgins, you know, off you go to to go party with Ted and she walks away and she I don't know if you remember this or if you got the same impression but she like flings that borrowed coat off of mm-hmm. her once she hits the uh-huh. edge of the stadium proper and and now hearing all of you talk about it I almost wonder if like at that moment she has decided no he's got to go cuz it, they're all together now, they're all in this together, and if if my goal really and truly is to ruin this team, then I've got to fix this problem where the problem is that the team is finally unbroken, you know? And and I, I can't help but wonder if maybe that flinging of the coat, that seemingly angry flinging of the coat is the moment at which it's been decided.
3: That feels right to me.
1: Yeah. If
3: there's some sort of a Uh, a moment where she's reminded of how much the team meant to Rupert. You know, when, when you see this, this camaraderie, this, this gelling together of this, this group of misfits that have suddenly become something more than, than their individual parts that could have been her, her spin on the heel walk off moment where she said, okay, this is the sort of football club love that I was dead set to destroy Because this is what he loved, and I can't have that. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. that reminder comes crashing in at that moment when even Mm -hmm. Higgins betrays her for the love of this damned club. And I don't,
1: I don't even know that it's an even Higgins betrayed her type thing as much as it is. um, He was never on her side. when Rupert was in charge, he was not on Rebecca's side, and I think that maybe him kind of throwing his lot in with the team, um, maybe that was another way for him for her to get at him, and punish him.
2: Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I could I could see that going either way.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, the the allegiance aspect of it is is one piece of it, and the the other piece of it is. I mean, she was she was caught up in the moment too. She was fully caught up into it. She was into it. She was there, and it was, it was. Oh wait, the loyal flunky uh, was 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 with his co-conspirators in trying to get the team all on the same page. And that just kind of shook her out of it and went, wait, no, 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 wait, wait, I was doing a revenge. That was what I was doing. I was doing a revenge. I'm going to go back to doing a revenge. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So any final thoughts on this episode before we wrap this up?
2: One minor thing that I really loved was the callback at the very, very end. I think right, if I remember right, it's right when Ted is told that Jamie's been uh, recalled back to Man City or whatever it was. And Ted walks in, you know, chipper because everyone's finally together. And he says to coach beard, good morning, honey bunch, which is a callback to the very, very beginning when uh, he asked uh, coach beard if he had a favorite bath bomb and it was like cinnamon and honey or something like that, or cinnamon, honey. I forget exactly what it was, Mm -hmm. but he asks, you know, coach beard or is honey an ingredient or were you calling me that? And beard says, Oh, it was an ingredient. And Ted's like, Oh, that's disappointing. I was hoping that was the other one. Well, we get that callback that payoff now in this, in this last scene where he says, good morning, honey bunch. And it's stuff like that, that I'm not a sophisticated enough television watcher that I would normally catch. And, and I don't recall if I did catch it on the first watch, but as I'm rewatching everything, you know, it, it stands out so obviously to me now. And, and I just love those little tidbits that they drop in that really, you know, if you miss it, it's not going to hurt anything. It's not a, it's not a huge joke but if you're paying close enough attention i, I love that that it's there and, and and it's these little tidbits that that make me so happy
0: yeah, it really sells the the lived-in relationships between these characters it's yep well put. you know the, there's there's some shorthand there's some uh there's some additional texture to their interpersonal relationships uh kier
3: i think all in all i i love the fact that this is uh this is a choppy episode Uh, I think with a lot of the way some of the the individual scenes are structured that are supposed to be particularly heavy or supposed to be particularly comedic and they don't get to execute that way because they are so interspersed with their with their counterpoints. You take the whether it's the seance scene where written by any other group of people or, or, or edited by any other group of people, you might have something that begins with the comedic elements being put into the barrel and then ends with the touchy you know, heartfelt moments, and that's how you sort of wrap that scene up. It's not done that way. It, it's scattered throughout. You've got difficult conversations happening between two characters where even in the middle of it, somebody throws in a quick quip or on a side, even if it's just to themselves. you know, Ted having his moments where he's just talking to himself out loud, wondering about, oh, where, what is it? What, what are the, what's the etymology of that word? It, 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 and it's so well blended that you start to become attuned to that sort of delivery on this show particularly, uh, very few uh, labeled comedies have I seen that have done that that have taken the, the the straight up goofball comedy, then there's the highbrow comedy, then there are the poignant moments, the sad moments, the genuinely concerning moments and and weave them so well together so that even within a scene or within a single character exchange you've got you've got moments that touch upon any number of them. And yet it doesn't feel muddy. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just really well crafted. It's like it, it's like a recipe. I, I can yeah. only give it that analogy.
0: <laughs> yeah. To, to some extent, this episode is doing a lot of furniture moving to set the stage for where the the back four episodes of the season are going to go. Mm. Um, but usually furniture moving episodes feel like you can you you, you are very well <laughs> apprised of the fact that furniture is getting moved around. And um, and instead, uh, it it, it all just feels like it's uh, it's just part of the part of the ride. Uh, And we're just kind of going along with it. Um, Aline.
1: I think what this episode does for me is it really illustrates and drives home that none of at least none of the primary or secondary characters are caricatures they are all just people you know moises you were talking earlier about um how some people were were calling rebecca the villain of the show or the villain of the arc or whatever and she's not she's just a hurt person doing i mean really reprehensible things but She's just a person. And I think that with kind of the rounding out we get of Jamie here, we really see that is the case. Like these are all people. This is a show about people. It's not a show about soccer. It's not a show about um, revenge. It's just a show about people. And I really like that. I, I think that the humanity of, characters is something that gets lost in the pursuit of plot in a lot of shows and i really i just appreciate how how we get to know the various sides of these individuals as as we go throughout the series and i'm really excited to see next season
2: yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like the characters go from like 2D to 3D, if you yeah. will. Like yeah. I, I like that you had said, you know, we realize that they're not all just caricatures. And and I think you're exactly right that we really do get a depth here to a lot of characters that even Ted, you know, even the the title role, we see more depth to him here in that he can get angry than we have in, in any of the prior episodes. And and they really do start to kind of stand up off the page, both primary and secondary characters, like you had said, Aline. And, and I just really love that. And I really think it's at this moment on this episode that I had originally kind of thought, eh, it's it's fine. But it's in this episode that I think so much of so much of what's great about Ted Lasso is really on display and firing on all cylinders right here in episode six.
0: Well, uh, we charge ahead next week into episode seven with yet a different panel of rotating folks, um, as uh, as I have been for uh, your host for this episode. I'm Moisés Chuyan, and uh, I want to go around and thank everybody for joining me uh, once again. Uh, Casey, less sorry you had to get rid of those sunglasses, but I, I feel like you still look like Clive Owen. <laughs> Nine Schadenfreude, uh, Kier Hansen. Uh, glad you got that uh, that issue with your ankle all worked out.
3: I will, uh, I will toast you at our next meeting with a fine glass of Pavlovian wine.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and Aline, your, uh, your analogy to Star Trek, I think, uh, I think holds. I think that's the thing we yeah. learned more than anything. Number yep. one.
1: Thank you. Well, I hope that next season we get a lot more Phoebe and Roy. That's what I'm rooting for. <laughs> uh,
0: well, that's it for this episode of Football is Life. Uh, tell your friends, stay subscribed. Uh, and more than anything, please make sure you believe.